If you're stuck in marketing meetings and have less time to do creative work, Stella Garber, co-founder of Hoop and former head of marketing at Trello, suggests you flip your communication pyramid. Today, Stella shares how your marketing team can become more productive and spend less time in meetings this year. In episode 56 of the Marketing Power-Up Show, you learn first of all how Stella spurred creativity and collaboration with Trello's remote marketing team. Second, how marketers can excel at remote async communication. Third, how Stella's transition from head of marketing at Trello Atlassian to starting Hoop. And number four, a career power that has accelerated Stella's career. Before we get started, I created a free power-up cheat sheet that you can download and apply Stella Garber's flip communication strategy. Get it now at marketingpowerups.com or find the link in the show notes and description. Are you ready? Let's go. Marketing power-ups. Ready? Go! Here's your host, Ramley John. Well, Stella, thank you so much for joining us here at Marketing Power-ups. I'm excited to be talking about uh, async work, particularly from remote marketing teams and remote teams in general. I know you've been working. We were just chatting before we started recording. Um, you've been working remotely for for many years now at Trello, at Glassian, and now at your uh, company, Hoop. Uh, you wrote this really interesting article, actually, in OpenView. This is a while back, 2019. Like You wrote a blog, like, why remote work increases productivity. And I love that because it's like a goose against the grain. We're like, oh, remote work will, like, you know, make people feel lazy. And that's a lot of like uh, uh, things that managers would say, particularly in more traditional dinosaur organizations. I'm curious why that is, uh, you know, your your approach there around like why remote work can actually increase productivity. Well, it's not just me anymore. And it's I was looking at that <laughs> post. It was in 2019 and there had been some yeah, studies right. showing that productivity um, did increase during uh, times when people were remote. And then obviously the pandemic happened and there was way more mm. data to show that um, even the crazy thing about it is that all of the data that was recorded during the pandemic about people having to work from home, they were more productive, even in an environment where mm. their kids were at home. And, you know, there was all this existential angst about being sick and not being able to leave the house. Like, um, so I think it just goes to show you that um, that remote work can be when set up in a in a way that promotes autonomy and outcomes. um, It can be much more productive. I think the challenge is that people. Uh, it, it's a different style of working and it's a different style of management. And so you can't just right. copy and paste what worked in an office. Um, I was talking to someone a few weeks ago who used this term like l- managing by walking around or something like that, where managers <laughs> like walk around. Like I had never heard it and it sounded to me kind of crazy, but apparently right. that's what, what people do in an office. Um and I just, I think that there's so much research and data about what people, individuals, and teams need to be the most productive. And a lot of it goes against the way that we've traditionally worked. Um, and I can give lots of examples. Probably the most, uh, the most controversial example is the idea of brainstorming in a group setting mm, that yeah. trying to get best results, you should never brainstorm in a group. You should brainstorm individually and then come together and discuss as a group. And 
like nobody does that, even though there's been multiple studies shown <laughs> that that's the best way to, to be creative. Mm. What is the best? I mean, you're, you're, what is the best way to be creative? I'm curious. What was the, is it more like async? It, I mean, we're getting into this, but like, what is the best way to remain creative? I guess. Well, I think it's a mix. So, um, and again, mm. I'm relying on a lot of research, but it shows that if you give people the opportunity to think by themselves uh, before coming together as a group, uh, that's where you get the most creative um, ideation because people are not influenced. There's all of these biases that come into play when people are together. For example, the fact that, you know, certain people may not feel comfortable speaking up. Um, you know, there's uh, authority, uh, you know, people may not feel comfortable speaking up in front of their boss. Um, the loudest yeah. voice is not always the most creative. Um, sometimes people benefit from writing things down versus speaking. And so the best way to be creative is to give someone a prompt outside of, let's say, a meeting or a creative session, have have them, you know, come up with ideas and then they come together. And when you're in a group, there's this thing called burstiness that happens, which is that sort of back and forth magic of sharing ideas and building on each other ideas. And so that's where um, you can have the benefit of being in a group. But it's a combination of both individual thinking and discussing as a group that works, um, that, that produces the most sort of creative outcomes. Is that what you saw? I know for people who don't know, you're the first marketing hire at Trello, um, grew that team, got acquired by Atlassian. Is that what you did with your team as you were, Trello, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, Trello and Atlassian were remote first, even before the pandemic, which is amazing because like you have all of this uh, things that you wanted to share to the world that a lot of other companies, is that how you, you know, especially in marketing where creativity and collaboration and that whole brainstorming is so important. Is that some of the stuff that you, you did with your team to induce that creativity uh, and collaboration in that in teams, marketing teams particularly? Yeah. Well, so Trello was um, remotely distributed basically since the beginning, we had an office in New York City where we would sort of come together for offsites or um, there were a handful of folks who lived in New York um, and worked from the office. But when we were acquired by Atlassian, Atlassian didn't really believe in remote work. Mm, they were very, off yeah, yeah, very off-centric. And one of the things was that they wanted to learn about how Trello um Wow. Grew remotely because we had at the time of acquisition, we were a little over a hundred people and we had such a strong culture, really strong business, obviously, really loved product. And so Atlassian was really interested in learning how to do that um, with a remote team. And it turned out that after the pandemic hit and Atlassian, everyone had to be remote. Atlassian was one of the first companies to adopt a fully remote model, wow. partly because right. we had the blueprint already from Trello, but also because That's they amazing. saw, and Atlassian's a very data-driven company, and so they saw from their data that people were um, equally productive, more productive working from home, and so it didn't really make sense to continue being uh, an office-centric company. 
Um, so, uh, and now, you know, Atlassian is like 10,000 people globally distributed, wow. one of the biggest, um, yeah. proponent of remote work. That's amazing. I did not know that. I think, uh, Trello, usually it's the other way around where like the larger organization swallows a small startup and they force their culture <laughs> on this small, but it seems like it was, uh, the other way around where like the influence, uh, was like, Hey, Trello. Trello team, like Stella, teach us how you, uh, you know, did async communication and remote, uh, remote manage your team remotely, uh, rather than the other way around, where like they force you to to come to to hubs is is what I've, I'm hearing here exactly. Yeah, that to their credit, they allowed um, after the acquisition, the Trello team um, sort of operated independently of the rest of the Atlassian mm. um, organization. And so we were able to, um, we were able to continue doing what was working. And we obviously, I think there was a lot of learning on the Trello side and a lot of learning on the Atlassian side. Um, and then over the years, as integrations become more tight knit, um, they sort of became um, adopted parts of each other culturally. What were some of the stuff that you shared with your marketing counterparts? Where like you know, this is how. This is how to run a marketing team remotely or run a team remotely versus like what they were doing. Was there anything specific that comes to mind or like the, some of the lessons that um, you and your Trello team shared to the Atlassian team about managing remotely and doing remote work better? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was a lot, uh, a lot that we shared, a lot of best practices that have become sort of best, best practices at the company overall now. But I think um, for, there's so many. The first is that there's <laughs> a, huge, a huge emphasis on communication. Um, mm. You know, in marketing, you have to repeat a message seven times before people internalize it. So it's the same thing with internal communications. So we always say that if you feel like you're over communicating, you're probably communicating the right amount. Um, the second thing like is... A real emphasis on documentation, so making sure that everything is written down and that also people can find information on their own without having to bug people or, um, you know, try to DM people or schedule meetings. Um, <laughs> third thing is um, being, you know, as a team to make some sort of um, an agreement about what the remote practices and expectations are. So on my team, you know, my team started very small. I was the the first hire. And then at the time that I left, um, my marketing team was around 35 or 40 people. Wow. And so every quarter, um, we would, we had a working document that listed out our team's practices. So for example, which tools do we use for what types of information? What are the expectations around times that people are available? What are the expectations of response times? Um, how do we, what are the types of team meetings that we have? And all, all these sorts of things that I think in an office setting, you maybe don't need to define. It can be a little bit more loosey-goosey because people are around yeah. and, you know, there, there are certain things that you can look around and say, okay, well, oh, that person came in at nine and everybody's leaving around five. So like, you know, or whatever it is. 
Like with remote work, you have to be much more specific. And the really important thing about remote work, and I would argue that this is not specific to remote work, it's it's just good management practices that people really need to understand what it means to be successful at their job. Mm, Because ultimately, everybody wants to be, most most people want to be successful. They want to contribute and feel appreciated and advance in their careers. And so if you don't, if you are not specific about what that means in practice and what the expectations are, then that's where all of these like weird things come in. Like people feel like things aren't fair or, you know, they're trying to understand what the rules are and and maybe there are miscommunication between people. So the most, the most like clear you can be as a manager about what the expectations are and also that everybody on the team is aligned on how the team functions that's going to be a much more successful, like well-oiled marketing machine. I like that. It's what I'm hearing is like it's about communication and documentation and making sure that people understand what success looks like and making sure people know where everything is. Because like in an in office setting, you can be like, oh, just ask Bob <laughs> about what tool we use. Where yeah. like, you know, maybe in a Slack setting, uh, it's, you know, or a remote setting, it's much more challenging as to like, you'd have to do like multiple chats rather than being yeah. in the same space. You can just like shout over people. Exactly. I think there's a, there's structure and w- with remote work, it, there is not, uh, like if you were to show up in an office, you would be expecting there to be chairs and a desk and a place to have water and you know, uh, cubicles or whatever it is. You, you wouldn't show up and expect there to be nothing. Similarly with remote work, the analog there is that it's not desks or chairs yeah. or water cooler. It's like the systems, the routines, the rituals, the expectations, all of those things need to be documented. They need to, people need to be able to find and understand them and managers need to communicate them um, to the team. Mm, that makes a uh, ton of sense. I love how I love that analog. You're right. Like, you know, when you join a remote team, hopefully there's some kind of repository with all the knowledge that like you're talking about, like, and where to find all the information and all the tools. So I think that's really great here. I mean, this it is kind of we've been talking a lot about async communication. I want to talk something that you shared actually just a few weeks ago around this communication pyramid. I know it's uh, something that. Uh, it looks like the image that you share. I'm going to share that link in description uh, in the description and show notes around this image from a business coach where you have to flip your communication pyramid, which is like super interesting. And I feel like you're already starting to get there. I'm curious what that means for people who didn't, who haven't seen it yet. And you know, what are the advantages of, of flipping that, that communication pyramid essentially? Yeah. Well, so Right now, the default is synchronous communication on most teams. So that means that you and I have to be online at the same time to have a meeting, for me to DM you in Slack, and Mm. you respond right away. I'm expecting a response right away, and I need that in order to do my work. And what ends up happening with that is most people are pretty miserable at their jobs right now because... They're stuck in back-to-back meetings. They feel like 
can't keep up with their Slack or Teams instance, and they don't have time for any focused work. Does that sound familiar to other folks that you've talked yeah. to? <laughs> it does, 100%. Too many meetings, too many Slack too many messages. And, like, and I think... <laughs> I think that like people default to those types of things because that is what is expected. That's sort of what's easy, what's known. Um, but the cost is really, really high because the reality is that um, work that is measured and um, for most people, for most creatives, writers, designers, engineers, you need to be able to step away and think and focus and have large mm. blocks of time in to do that. Yeah. You can't be sitting in Slack all day and expecting to, um, you know, get a lot of work done. And so when we flip the communication pyramid, what that's saying is that the default should be to try to, number one, figure stuff out on your own. And that's where having the documentation is really important. Um, that you should um, communicate in ways that are more asynchronous first. And that the very, so so if you think about a traditional pyramid where the bottom of it is like a lot of meetings and stuff, um, when you flip it, what ends up happening is that meetings become a much smaller portion of the type of communication. Right. And yeah. that's really what it should be. And because... It's really expensive to to have synchronous mm -hmm. communication. You're requiring people That's to true. that like the opportunity cost is very high. So um, I think that's a, a really useful way of thinking about what percentage of your day should be spent um, talking and working in ways that are synchronous and working in ways that are asynchronous. I will say, like, I think synchronous communication is really important. I would not be mm. successful working in a completely asynchronous environment because I love people. Like I love talking to people and, you know, I think that so much comes out of that, that burstiness of like, you say something, I say something, we make some jokes and then mm. there's like a new idea that comes out of it. But that should be a smaller percentage of the day, right. much smaller. That right. What I'm hearing is like, it, it especially for creatives. I love what you said it like they require that deep work. And sometimes that deep work requires many hours or a block of like a couple of hours. And if the spots of meetings all over the space, deep work gets hard and then create creative creativity gets uh, abruptly, uh, you know, cut off essentially with that. Yeah. And we're in the middle of this epidemic right now. Um, Microsoft has done a bunch of studies. One of them showed that um, meetings have tripled since the pandemic started. Really? And then, yes. <laughs> and then the other one showed sort of they did like these this brain scan study of what it looked like when people were in back to back meetings versus being able to, um, you know, take breaks or not have to sit in front of a, you know, interact in front of a screen all day. And the brain scans were really frightening. And I think it shouldn't be surprising because anybody who's been in back-to-back -back meetings all day understands how your brain feels fried. And so if your job is to do creative work, like you have to create the conditions for creativity and having to be responsive and distracted and interruptive, like interruptive work is the real enemy of creativity.
interrupted. That's like a tweet right there or <laughs> <Our> LinkedIn posts. <laughs> Interrupt interruption is the the enemy of creative work. That's such a good yeah. line right there. Yeah. And and like it's it's an interesting thing because I feel like managers are often painted as you know these like evil people who <laughs> want people to be in Slack like the green dot in Slack. But I would argue that if you're managing a team that is supposed to be doing creative work, your job is to create the conditions um, that mm. support creativity. So I'll give you an example. On my team, number one, I encourage everyone to block out creative time on their calendar. But um, we also had Tuesdays and Thursdays, I think, as no meeting days where um, wow. people, yeah, like people would like as a team, culturally, we would not have meetings on those days. Um, and I think it's really important for managers to give permission to the the people on their teams to step away and focus. Now, that comes with a lot of accountability, right? Like I'm not, right. if you're not online, I'm expecting that you're working what you, and doing what you're supposed to be doing. And there, there's accountability. There's, did you deliver the project did you deliver the blog post? And the good thing is that for most, especially in marketing, it's very performance driven. So mm. um, it's there's not a lot of subjectivity. You can be pretty objective about people's performance, but you also have to trust that they're going to do their work. Yeah, that's true. That ties back to what you mentioned earlier about like make, being clear about what success looks like. Because like yeah. if they don't now, if that that's very clear. And they're not meeting that success criteria. Then there's a question of like um, accountability and, you know, the whole piece around like, hey, we're trusting you to do creative work and to do the work that we to achieve the success criteria. And if not, then there's might be an issue around around this potentially. Exactly. And that's why I think like this is where the structure and the planning has to come in around helping people be successful. It's funny because it sort of mirrors my parenting philosophy, which is like that kids, especially little kids, they need a lot of structure. Like, mm. but they also, once you've established the structure, there's got to be flexibility within that structure. So, for example, mm. like we don't allow toys all over the house, but we do allow toys in the playroom. And I don't care what you mm. do in the playroom. Like, that's your area, <laughs> but the toys are not going to be in another part of the house. So I feel like with managing teams, it's a similar thing where when people understand, like, um, for example, at Trello, we, we would have 12 to 4 p.m. as uh, Eastern as overlap time. So mm. you have to be available um, within that time frame to respond to unless it's like a, a maker day, which is what we call the meeting free days. Um, you would be expected to be available during those times. Um but the other times, like, I don't care when you're working as long as you're getting your stuff done. Interesting. Did you just call it Maker Day for, for yeah. people to create? That's yeah, so there's, good. <laughs> there's, a, there's this great post by Paul Graham about Maker versus Manager. We actually, uh. Uh, yes, and how, like, managers have different schedules than makers. And what happens is that managers sometimes, because they're in meetings a lot, they tend to, like, force that sort of similar schedule onto the makers Interesting. right? and makers their calendar should be completely empty because they should be making you know what i mean right um so that's what we would call them we would call them maker days interesting 
That's so good. Um, uh, so that started in Trello all the way in the very okay. beginning. And I'm guessing you brought this over to, to your team at Hoop now as well. We're interested. Yeah, we are actually, we, we work a little bit differently, um, but it, but also because we're a very small startup and we're mm. pre-product market fit. So I think, um, you know, we, we operate mostly asynchronously with a two hour overlap um, every day. And we also do like a four day work week. So Fridays are wow. either, um, Fridays are like a, an overflow day where you can work if you want to, or if you've done all the work you needed to do, then, you know, then it's your time. So, um, uh, I think a lot of us like Fridays tends to be my most creative day because it's a day yeah. that I don't have a bunch of stuff going on and I can just take a walk and think and come up with lots of ideas. I like that. I, I do. I really do like that. And it's something that marketers who are tuning in right now, it's something that they should consider talking to their manager about, about like, hey, especially ones that are like in content or in creative mm -hmm. space where they do need to make, <laughs> maybe yeah. like send Paul Graham's, uh, send Paul Graham's essay to, to their manager as well to say, hey, I, I would like to book off, like let's say just one day, Tuesday to create and, and make and build and analyze and things like that. Is what you're yeah, we actually, I'll send you a link. We wrote about it. Um, at on a, on the Trello blog very early on, like maybe a year into my tenure at Trello, because, um, and we and I think in that blog post we talk about how we implemented it. I think if you're managing a remote team, um, you have to give your teammates permission to block time in their calendars for creative work. That's something mm -hmm. that I would do if if I'm, one of my direct reports was saying to me like Stella all these people are scheduling meetings with me, especially, you know, at a bigger company once we were at Atlassian. Atlassian is a pretty meeting-heavy culture. Um, you know, they're seeking permission to say no to meetings, which can feel, it can feel like you can't say no. And so I would always tell my direct reports, like, if you feel like you can't say no, like, let's talk about it. You should have control over your time. And, what ended up happening a lot of times is that if they declined the meeting, nothing would happen. Interesting. Like, <laughs> people either right. would schedule schedule the meeting later during the overlap hours, or yeah. they would just they would just um, figure it out without including uh, someone else. I'm very passionate about this. <laughs> um, yeah, I can say. Yeah, yeah. There's this book that I read. Um, mm. I have it on my shelf here. It's called Beyond Collaboration Overload. And mm. um, there's this idea that, like, we collaborate way too much. It's making what? everybody... <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's that. Right. Because the, 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 it's the um, boundaries for collaborating mm. have gone down in the last few years with Slack. Yeah. So easy to DM somebody. And so people end up being included on a lot of things they really don't need to be included on. Um, and so if we can inc reduce the amount of collaboration, um, even by like 20% or something, you would find that the output ends up being the same, but people are mm. happier and people have more control over their time. That is so fascinating. I think yes. the, the whole collaboration, and we're talking about like, you know, like, that's when you're with a team working together and creative work sometimes require 
often most of the time requires that deep solo work where like you're crunching two things yeah to create collaboration we're too collaborative <laughs> well so. it's, it, the thing is like collaboration is good i'm not saying collaboration mm. is bad the problem yeah. is like people get people get drawn into things like people get added to meetings or hey what mm. do you think about this and the cost of that is that number one now all of a sudden someone has to attend another meeting and that's right. you know 30 minutes that they're not working and maybe if it's 30 minutes out of a two-hour chunk now all of a sudden they can't concentrate for two hours because they have this interruption of the meeting right so um it's just the fact that collaboration feels good we want to help we want to be helpful but yeah just like with all things you have to consider what the opportunity cost is um mm. so like you know the real famous thing that happened recently i think it was shopify that um, yeah shopify yeah they put the cost of the meetings on their calendars to help people um, yeah understand that there's a cost little a literal oh. monetary cost to the meetings and that was in response to sort of this epidemic of collaboration that's going on. Mm, right. Yeah. I think that that makes a ton of sense. I think yeah, just meeting overload. We're over time back to what you mentioned earlier uh, with Microsoft Study, and I think as a function also of like remote is new. Um, when the last few years, especially for a lot of folks, and the way they overcompensate with that is like let's make it look like we're working in. And pe if people can't see that you're on meetings, then <laughs> you're, not, you're not working, even though, you know, there are some stuff, specifically strategic high level creative work that requires that solo thing. Yeah. And I, I feel like why you're so passionate about this, you're, you're working on a solution for this with, with Hoop really around bringing this, this endless chats and ineffective meetings back to, to focus in action. Can you talk a little bit about how you and your team have been thinking about solving this, this problem, this problem that people are facing? Absolutely. Yeah. So we started Hoop, um, myself and my two co-founders who were, uh, were all early executives at Trello. And uh, we, we left Atlassian and we, number one, just really wanted to continue working together. And number two, we wanted to see whether we could take some of the lessons from building and scaling a remote team and help build software to really help teams work more intentionally uh, when they're working remotely, distributed, whatever you want to call it. And so the reality is that most tools these days um, are sort of geared towards synchronous collaboration. So the chat, the Zoom, and yeah. um, instead, and what ends up happening is that people end up responding to things that are right in front of them instead of understanding like, hey, this request is important, but it's not urgent. So I'm going to deal with this other thing that's much more important and slot this into my day for later, later today. Um, and most tools don't allow you to do that. We sort of found that there's this window of like when you need something by and and when I can respond by that is inarticulated right now where it's like if I just DM you, I say, hey, what do you think about this? Or, hey, right. can you give me some feedback on this? And it's like, okay, when do you need this feedback by? How urgent <laughs> is this for you? Like, 
Is it okay if I get back to before the end of the day? So there's a toll it's in it gets sort of snowballed. So at Hoop, we are helping teams um, make requests and have conversations that are bounded by a bit more structure. So when do we need to make this decision or uh, who needs to be included? So really making those things very clear. And then also we're helping bring conversations full circle, hence the name Hoop. Um, so that instead of having like these threads and slack that go on forever without like a clear decision or resolution, <laughs> right? It, it, in hoop, um, there are decisions and action items that come out of every out of every hoop. Mm. Um, and so the idea is that there's certainly a place for chat, but the problem is right now everything is in chat and meetings, and um, most people benefit from having the ability to slot sort of requests into their day in a way that is both good for you the requester and also me who's who's you know giving you what you need i love that it's all time back to why you're so passionate about this like how you can end those those endless chats and meetings without actually any actions and making sure that work is actually getting done <laughs> yeah it work is getting done and also i would say personally People are so like miserable. They're also unhealthy because mm. they feel like they can't step away and, you know, that their boss might ping them anytime. And it's just not a sustainable way of working remotely. And certainly, like, since I've worked remotely basically my whole career, I've gone through this arc of like learning about <laughs> this stuff. And so, right now, I think most people who are experiencing remote work outside of the pandemic for the first time in a long-term format. And so all of these practices are going to evolve and the tools that they're using need to evolve mm. alongside them. Awesome. Well, I'm going to link Hoop. I think it's hoop.app for people to check yes. out as well. Yes, please. I want to I want to shift gears and talk about uh, career power-ups. There's this amazing post that you wrote uh, around when you, you left Trello. You shared some amazing wisdom and tips around your career journey. Like I mentioned earlier, or first marketing hire at Trello, you grew that, got acquired by Atlassian, and then now you're starting, you've started Hoop with a few other uh, folks here. I'm curious, first of all, like what are one or two things that you're, I, I call it a career power-up since the show is called Marketing Power-ups, that right. has accelerated or uh, you know, giving you a leg up in your career and by the way I'll, I'll link that that post in the show notes and description for for people but like what are one or two or three career props that sticks out really to you that's helped you in your career yeah i think and i talk about this in my post um but for me it's always about people so like mm -hmm. investing in relationships and making sure that um you are operating with integrity and that you are working with people who also share the same values and operate with integrity. So I, I've been very fortunate to have been part of several successful startups and most startups fail. And people are always like, well, oh, she got lucky or something. And certainly I think luck is has a role in it. But I also think that out, a lot of times people will join a startup because of the hype around something or you know, because they have a fancy title. And I think for me, I've just been really, really focused on working with people 
who um, have a lot of integrity and, again, share the yeah. same values. Um, and I say that to people all the time. And it's amazing how, how often people uh, how often people sort of chase after things that are, um, at least to me, that aren't like the core of, of what we're trying to mm. accomplish. We're just, you know, do our best work. Um, and then maybe another career power up is to, I've seen uh, a lot of people, this sort of goes in line with what I just said, but I, like I've always been very passionate about remote work as an unlock. You know, I have two yeah. small children and um, like I can get to be the kind of mom that I want to be because I can work remotely and I don't need to sit in traffic and I don't need to be, you know, attending mm. happy hours five nights a week <laughs> that don't matter. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the things that yeah. don't matter. So I have always felt that remote work is just an amazing unlock and helps mm. you as an ambitious, um, you know, mom uh, to 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 sort of do it all or to have a, a better chance of doing it all. Um so I've always, uh, I've always sort of gone after the things that I'm passionate about. And again, I think you have to find the thing that you're passionate about and, and, and just like go all in because mm. then it, my dad always has this expression of like, if you do what you love and love what you do, you never work a day in your life. And, um, I definitely, like, I definitely agree with that. I think you have to <laughs> do things and work on products and projects as much as you can um, economically allow that that are like very you feel very passionate about. If you enjoyed this episode, you'd love the Marketing Power-Ups newsletter. I share the actionable takeaways and break down the frameworks of world-class marketers. You can go to marketingpowerups.com to subscribe and you'll instantly unlock the three best frameworks that top marketers use to hit their KPIs consistently and wow their colleagues. I want to say thank you to you for listening and please like and follow Marketing Power Ups on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. If you feel extra generous, kind of leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a comment on YouTube. Goes a long way in others finding out about Marketing Power Ups. Thanks to Mary Sullivan for creating the artwork and design. And thank you to Faisal Kaigo for editing the intro video. And of course, thank you for listening. That's all for now. Have a powered update. Marketing Power Ups. Until the next episode.